Welcome to the Cornerstone Christian Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jim Tarr. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit cccbasalt.com. Well, I just want to have a word of prayer, then let's get into the Word of God, all right? Father, I thank you, O Lord, for the joy of our salvation. Thank you for the joy, Lord God, for the new believers that you brought to yourself. Thank you, Father, for the work of Christ. And I pray that the message of Jesus, Lord, would go around the world, that people would know that, Lord, you love them, and your desire, Father, is to be reconciled with all mankind, with all men, Lord, all men, all women, boys, girls, to the oldest. You've given us the ministry of reconciliation. Thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're just taking a few weeks to talk about some basics, beginnings for those who have recently come to Christ and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We looked at what, does, what is the meaning of baptism, coming together for communion. What I want to talk about today is something that you might have heard about if you've known the Lord for a long time, but it's called the exchanged life. The exchanged life. It's something that I wish to the bottom of my heart someone would share with me much sooner. I was raised in a, you know, a, a line of pastors. Actually, my great-grandfather was a pastor. My grandfather st- um, started out on the wrong side of the tracks, ended up getting it, his um, act together and served the body of Christ in the church. He was an elder in his church. My parents met at Missionary College and served the Lord until my mom's health issues required them to serve the Lord as my dad is a pastor here in the U.S., then I felt the call of God when I was five or six years old, somewhere around there, six, six years old. But one of the things that I wish that I had learned, and I think that maybe you couldn't learn it sooner until maybe you're ready to learn it. But I wish I had learned more about the exchanged life. So that's why I want, with people who've just come to know Christ, to understand today exactly who they are. There is a huge exchange that happened when you came to meet Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. Something powerful that, that happened. I think that a lot of times we think that the call to Christianity is called to now suddenly be focused on yourself. Self-examination. Striving. I think a lot of times that there's even people who don't know the Lord, who have no desire to know the Lord because they have met some Christians and they think they're not exactly the happiest people I've ever met. I feel like, you know, sometimes, they, what did they say? It looks like people have been baptized in pickle juice, right? <laughs> when you look at their, their attitudes and their mindsets or whatever it might be, but it's not because they're not well-intentioned. As a matter of fact, sometimes the most well-intentioned Christians are the ones who are least happy. They're never able to get there, really. It's a life of striving, a life of labor, a life of never being able to look in the mirror and feel as though that you are, can ever measure up. You come to church on Sunday morning and there's this whole thing that can happen where we're looking at each other and thinking, surely their Christian life is better, their Christian expression is better, their Christian marriage is better, their Christian parenting is better. There's all these kind of things. And I don't think sometimes we even pause to ask ourselves the question is, would that be something that God would save us for? Would he save us for that mentality? Or has he saved us for something greater? 
And that's what I want us to think about today. This, the term, the exchanged life, is, is quite popular in Christian circles, the exchanged life. It was started by a man, and his name was Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor, even as a young boy, really sought the Lord. He would spend even, he was known as a teenager, spending hours on his face before God. And he had this overwhelming sense that the, the, the nation of China had not been won to Christ. And he became so burdened by it. There were hardly any missionaries in the entire nation of China. And the more he would pray about it, the more he felt like it was his calling and his destiny. And you know what? History has proven that it was. And so he served the Lord with all of his heart, and he ended up going into the heart of China. The reason why he went to the heart of China is because he went over to China and saw the other missionaries. As I said, there were maybe half a dozen from England that were over there serving the Lord, even though there was a great global missions prayer movement out of, out of England, and yet no one was going to China. And so when he gets over there, he's seeing that the Chinese missionaries, for the most part, the Christians, were all absorbed, really, just in serving the, the, the English merchants and businessmen that were over there. So they became their translators, and everything just got goopy, you know. So the primary focus, actually, was to provide churches for the people from England that were in China doing business. But the heart of China had never even heard the message of Jesus Christ. So he became very burdened for it, and he also was looking at what the other Christians were doing, the other missionaries, and he got a one-two depressing punch, all right? First off, he began to look at how other Christians were living. And that's a bad place to go. It's kind of a dark place to go. And then he was also looking at his own life, and then he also felt his own inadequacy. Like he was never going to be able to measure up, just even personally, in his own personal struggles against his own flesh and sin, and, and just also about there's this whole country out there that has never heard about Jesus Christ, and he wants to really make a difference, and then he ended up making a huge difference, and he started his own missions organization called China Inland Mission. But in all of that, see, there, there was a, to a right and a left punch. The first one was looking at other Christians, and they couldn't measure up, the other missionaries, then looking at himself, and he couldn't measure up. The root, though, of other Christians not measuring up is a root that's only in the heart of the believer who looks in the mirror and feels like he himself can't measure up. And that's what we start projecting on others. So, you know, one of them brought extreme physical weariness to him, and that weariness ended up in Great Depression. Here's the whole thing, is that I, I want us to all to begin to shift gears and step out of any false idea or misunderstanding that we have on why Jesus saved us and why he loves us so much. He doesn't just love you for your potential. We'll talk about people that don't know the Lord and they say, oh, it'd be great if they came to Christ because they have so much to bring. Hmm, what's that rooted in? The whole idea is that we measure each other inside the church and outside the church, always measuring one against another. The thing is, is that one thing that might help a lot of people today is to understand that anyone who, who tells you that you need to be more like someone else they know, you can just realize in your heart that they don't know who they are. Because if they had discovered who they are and the process that that takes, 
They would never go to someone else and expect them to be someone else. Here's the whole thing. God loves you just merely for who you are. And that's it. He created you, and he loves you. No one's ever going to love you the way Jesus loves you. No one has ever washed you from the day that you were born, the unfolding events. Listen, a lot of the, who we are is part of nature, most of that sinful nature, granted. A lot of that is nurturing, and that's all part of the package. Part of it is the reflection of being created in the image of God. You got this threefold mix, right? What God made you to be, then the fall of man and sinful nature that we inherited, and then how we were nurtured or not nurtured, and all those things make us who we are. And the truth of the matter is, though, is that no one is going to love you having all that information the way Jesus is going to love you. That's the most amazing thing to me, is that the one who knows me best loves me the most. And that's really what's wonderful. The more that we begin to understand that, with, with, that, that there's no wiggle room in the love of God for you, there's no wavering in the love of God for you, you cannot perform to earn the love of God. God just loves you because God is love. And the sooner we get on board with that, the better we're going to be. And if the longer that we wait to get on board with that, it creates a sense of where life is a burden. I want to say this, is that most people that you meet on the earth today feel as though the longer they live, the more they feel a burden of life. They feel the burden of others, and they feel the burden of themselves. And Christ came so that we might understand the love of God for us, so that out of the love of God would come the life and the intentions of God through you. Everything else is a distraction. I can never stop thinking about King David, that when I read his life, he faced levels of betrayal like no one else we can hardly, except for Jesus, find in the scriptures. He even wrote a psalm that talked about he was wounded in the house of the Lord, in the house of his friends. If you're a Christian, you're going to get wounded in the Lord's house. That's the bottom line. David was. David wasn't just wounded in the house of the Lord. He was wounded in his own house. His brother Absalom rose up against him, wanted to take the kingdom away from him. He was a man that was rejected constantly, a man that for all of his good efforts was despised. It, he was the godliest king that Israel, Israel had ever seen, and he was the most troubled by outside forces, which is really kind of amazing because God was working something in him. David's destiny is eternal. Your destiny is eternal, that God wants to work in you. God's got you on a journey of discovery. And if you don't pass the people test, if you don't pass the judgment test, the judgment of others against you or the judgments of you against yourself. You have to pass that test to walk in the fullness of the call of God upon your life. Amen. You have to. You have to pass the rejection test. Name one person in the Bible that didn't have to pass the rejection 
test. Can you be rejected by another human being and look in the mirror and still feel good about yourself? Or are you defined by the opinions of others about you? You pass that test, you've passed life's greatest challenge, I believe. And the power of Christ working within you. The power of Christ that releases the potential of the possible through an impossible person or an impossible situation. Christ in you, the Bible says. Christ in you is the hope of glory. If you want to enter into the glory of God, the glory of God's creation of who you are, it has to be Christ in you. You have to see, be able to see Christ in others and be able to see Christ in you. We have to pass the test. You see, only way that you can come to the end of your life where you end up sweeter rather than bitter. Amen. Jesus saw people and he looked at them and he said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and intelligent I'm so glad that somehow I qualified to not be wise enough or intelligent enough to miss Jesus. Because there is a wisdom that results in foolishness. There is a knowledge that puffs up. There's an arrogance that can't find the Lord because the Lord says, I resist the proud and I give my grace to the humble. And in the middle of all of that, Jesus just began to rejoice because he could look at people and he could say, God, there's the other people in society are not valuing them, but I look at them and I see the potential of who they are when they come to me. God, I look beyond the natural man. I look beyond mistakes. I look beyond brokenness. I look beyond sin. Nobody can do that like Jesus can. No one can look beyond inadequacy or inability and see the fullness of the release of the potential of God in your life. That is the ministry of reconciliation that has been handed to the believer. You have been given to cause people. You have been given the message so that they might know God loves you. That's why God would call us as a people to be those who embrace the commandment to judge not. Because when it says judge not, for you will be judged, we automatically think that means, and it does have something, if we judge others, we'll, we're, we're inviting the Lord's judgment on our lack of mercy or our intolerance. But I just want to say this, judgmental people end up having other people be judgmental back. Jesus said, if you're merciful, you'll get a bunch of mercy. If you're judgmental, you're going to get a lot of judgmentalism back. If you're going around pointing the finger at others, before you know it, everybody's going to be pointing the finger at you. None of us are perfect. But Jesus said, thank you, God. Thank you for the potential that you can bring out of those who don't see the potential within themselves, that, did not, that, that were willing to embrace the humility of being a follower of Jesus Christ, to say that what God's called me to do is bigger than me, it's better than me, it's something that I don't deserve, but I can have it because God loves me. 
That's what being a follower of Jesus is. Jesus said, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son determines to reveal him. Then Jesus says to the crowd, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, all of you are exhausted of the treadmill. All of those of you who feel as though life carries more weight than it does um, being lighthearted. He says, come to me and I will give you rest, soul rest. Watchman Nee took himself out. He became so depressed and so physically weary of working for the Lord, of needing to win all of China, that at the end of the day, he felt no longer adequate. He took himself out of ministry. He goes back to England. He knows that he's going to kill himself if he continues in the expression of Christianity that he's walking in. And he's laying on his face before the Lord, and the revelation came to him that God had given to him and exchanged life. That God was not asking Watchman Nee to go there and to win China out of his own determination and strength, but that God was only calling him to let Christ live through him, to let Christ determine what he can accomplish, what he should do, how he should do it, and that if he doesn't have the strength for it, that the, the Lord has the strength for him. And if the Lord doesn't give him the strength to do it, then God hasn't called him to do it. He determined that he, Christ was meant to live through him. And he didn't have to be anybody else than who he was with Christ loving him. Amen. How important is that? Jesus said, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Yoke yourself to me. Like one ox yoked to another. Jesus knows when to rest. If you as a Christian are on the treadmill of trying to please God and thinking that you can get God to love you more, you will never stop running, never stop pulling, never stop striving, and you will never measure up. But if you yoke yourself to Jesus and his love for you, if you can understand at the end of the day that, hey, Jesus might just say, why don't you just go home? It's five o'clock and you haven't rested all week long. He's not a taskmaster. He's not a driving force. He's not working against you. He is working for you. Jesus does not want his field plowed at the expense of having a dead ox in the middle of the field. He said, I'm gentle and I'm humble in my heart. I'm humble when I approach you. Human beings aren't humble with each other. We have unrealistic expectations of each other. And the longer I live, I hope it's not my cynicism, but I think our culture is more demanding of each other because we're more concerned maybe about selfie pictures and about how great our breakfast looks than we are really about being truly content at the end of the day. You will find rest for your souls. God wants you to operate in soul rest. Can you be comfortable with yourself? 
I think that the reason why we're attached to our electronic devices is because we are becoming a generation of people who can't be alone with ourselves. I talked about a grandfather who would sit, who, who ran away from the Lord and then came back later in life. But what I remember of him is that he could sit on the back porch of our home after, he, live, ha, after having lived a life when I was told that he was one of the young men on the wrong side of the tracks that stood around the 50-gallon barrel of uh, drum where they would light a fire, all the young men, and cause trouble at night and drink too much. But then here was a man that at the end of his life, I could remember him, that he could sit on the back patio of our house with a glass of ice water, and he could sit and just be with himself. And that's what the Lord has for you. Are you so at rest in your understanding of the love of God for you that you can actually not worry about the bills, not worry about your health, not worry about the kids? Are you at such soul rest in the love of God for you that you can completely trust him no matter what? Isn't that what really true wealth is? Jesus said, my yoke is comfortable. I want to ask this question. Is, is your life yoked to comfort? I'm not talking about ease. The will of God has promised us, like if you want to live for God, you will be persecuted. If you live for God, there will be battles that will come against you. But the Bible just says, but your soul should always be comfortable. At the very core of who you are, you have found rest. And that your life, even though the Apostle Paul said, I carry the burden for all the churches. And yet the Lord says our burdens that even he would call us to carry are to be cast upon him knowing that he cares for us. Because how can I know that? Because I can know that when God sees me, he wants to treat me the exact same way he treated Jesus. You say, but Jim, you're not as righteous as Jesus. Oh, trust me. But in the eyes of God, I'm his son in the same way that Jesus is his son. I am a joint heir with Christ. I'm not the second born who gets the leftovers of the firstborn inheritance. I am a joint heir with Jesus Christ, the firstborn of God the Father. Everything that belongs to the firstborn belongs to me. God loves me. God loves you. Sometimes the hardest place to hold on to that is in the body of Christ. But if you can pass that test, you are light years ahead of the rest. If you can determine that in your life you will not get offended anymore. Woe to the person through whom offenses come, because there will be offenses in this world. But blessed is the person who doesn't get offended. You can't stop people from being offensive, but you can stop from getting offended. And that's what we've always got to remember. 
Why can I walk forward in this life in confidence? Why do I not have to strive? Why cannot I, why can I not at the end of the day just say to myself, I've done what the Lord has asked me to do today and not always feel like, oh, but there must be something more to do. How do I get rid of that legalistic drive inside my heart that can't rest in God? 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. I represent Jesus Christ. He's not, he's not saying that I, the Apostle Paul, an ambassador. He says we all are. If you've given yourself to Jesus, you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not ashamed to stand with you. I think some of us are afraid to step out because we don't have our act together. Well, that's like waiting till you can afford to get married before you get married. It's not going to happen. And you're not going to be good enough to be used by God, right? Amen. The truth of the matter is this, is that Christ is your righteousness. He's not ashamed of you. Sometimes... We can be ashamed of each other. I see it happen all the time. We don't like the way a certain Christian behaved. You know what the amazing thing is? At the end of the day, God still lets them claim his name. And it just reminds me that Jesus has us all in process. A lot of times we ditch each other long before Jesus, well, he never would. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I do know that there's instances where people get so belligerent as a, a, ch a child of God where they willfully come against the Lord like Ananias and Sapphira, but I know that that kind of thing can happen. But I'm telling you, we, we have a tendency to throw each other under the bus. When the Lord says you're an ambassador, what does an ambassador do? He represents the king. He doesn't have to get, he doesn't have to, when, he, when an ambassador is in another country, he doesn't have to make up stuff. All he has to do is represent what the king told him. If you just knew Jesus three days, all you are responsible for is give three days worth of testimony of what the king is like. That's all you need to do. You don't need to be, you don't have to do it like someone else did it. You don't have to have as dramatic a story as someone else. You don't have to know as many scripture verses as somebody else to be an ambassador for Christ. If you met Jesus, you are one. He's willing to be identified with you. I don't understand. Sometimes we're not willing to be identified with him. You know, if he's willing to be identified with me and I still have problems in my flesh, then why shouldn't I be willing to be identified with Jesus in his perfection? And we say, oh, no, but I'm being religious, pious when I do that. No, we're not. We're being too proud. If he's willing to identify with me and I'm not perfect and he is perfect, then I should be willing to speak up for him and say, if he can tolerate me, I can be with him. Get on his side. He's on your side. I, it's just, you're, you're an ambassador. And the Lord says, be reconciled to God. He's saying, are, are, that, that's my question for us. Are we recon, have we reconciled our past with Christ? The Apostle Paul says you have to do that. Have you made a reconciliation between old regrets, faults, fears, 
and inadequacies? Or are you a Christian who still hasn't reconciled your past with the fact that Jesus has said that you're forgiven? You can be forgiven, but haven't reconciled it yet in your own heart. And the Apostle Paul says, you need to start connecting the dots. Your past is forgiven. And then he says, he made him, God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be, become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is the amazing thing. It doesn't say in that passage that Jesus took his sins, our sins upon him, and then when our sins were upon him, that then God took our punishment and put him on Jesus. He says our sins weren't on, on him, but that Jesus actually became our sins. You ask, how could God have done that to, how could a loving God do that to his son? Because at that moment, it wasn't his son. He became our sins. And when God saw the sins of all humanity in one place, at one time, on one person, and they became personified, that God, it says that God chastened Jesus, the Son of God, to the cross, and the punishment was placed upon him. Jesus didn't take our sins upon him like a coat. I'm going to put the sins of the world on me. And God said, oh, look, the sins of the world are on him. I'm going to send him to the cross and punish him. No, he became our sins. Why is that important? Because it says in that passage right there that he became sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. He didn't just put a robe of righteousness on us. He didn't just set some righteous deeds on our account. What did he do? He caused us to become righteousness. You believer, if you've given your heart to Jesus, faith must embrace this. I am the righteousness of Christ. It's not a righteousness you received on your day of salvation that you put it on like a coat and then by Thursday you feel like you took the coat off and then you come to church on Sunday morning you think I better put my coat on it's time for communion then you put your righteous coat on you make it to Wednesday that week and you took the righteous coat that is not what happened to you. You exchanged your sinful life with Christ's righteous life. You are, you are the righteousness of Christ. Jesus taught the Apostle Paul that lesson so deeply that again, I know I'm repeating myself. He said, when I sin, I didn't do it. He so knew that the real him was now the righteous man of God, the righteousness of Christ. He says, so when I sin, I know it's not me that did it, it's just sin that's dwelling in my body. See, he knew this, that when I do something wrong, I'm not going to look at myself as though it's some deep-rooted, unforgivable, unbreakable 
flaw in the real me. He just said, no, I will not identify with my weakness in such a way. This is a man who said, hey, what am I going to do? Sometimes I don't want to do something I end up doing. Then there's some things that I want to do and I don't end up doing. Who's going to deliver me from this person? And he says, from this body of flesh. Who's going to deliver this man, this righteous man who lives in a body that has sin? He said, I thank God through Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ is my victory. The Apostle Paul is calling us, you and I, to live in such a way that we are convinced that we have changed positions with Christ. When God see, when you pray in the name of Jesus, what does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? It's to pray in His righteousness. It's to pray in His confidence. It's to pray with the understanding that you have been adopted into the family of God. It's not saying in Jesus' name like abracadabra. It means knowing exactly who you are in Christ. You've got to know that. And you say, but no, I feel like I'll be more qualified if I wallow in the sense of my sin. No, you will not. You will just remain defeated. you got to know that you know that you know that you are the righteousness of Christ. And that righteousness is your destiny. That's why it's part of this process is every time you come to the communion, what do you say to yourself? You say, I know this thing, that he who began a good work in me is going to finish it. There is, I cannot have any other destiny than to end up being like Christ in all of his character, nature, and behavior. That is what is going to be fulfilled in me. And we hold on to the Lord and we never waver, no matter what happens. Somebody walks out of your life. It's not suddenly like, oh, what's wrong with me? You didn't get a job promotion. Oh, here it goes again, right? Happened to me again. That, that is the dead person talking. That's not the person that's alive in Christ. And we have to break those mindsets. I'm not talking about the psychology of the gospel, but... The Bible says whatever a man believes in his heart, right? That, that's, how he'll, that's how he'll live. And exchanges happen. The Bible says, I was buried with him in baptism. Buried. And he says, this, this is from Colossians chapter 2. You were dead in your, wrong, your wrongdoings. If, there's a, if there's someone's driving a hearse down the road... They don't give a ticket to the driver and to the guy in the casket. One man is a man who consciously made a decision to do the wrong thing, but the other man was dead, even though his body was going as fast as the driver's. There's a difference between the believer who understands this, that when it comes to my ability to not do anything wrong anymore, well, that guy is dead with Christ. Yeah, other people can tell the guy in the casket was going just as fast as the driver. But the bottom line is this, is that one man knew he was guilty, but another man says, but I died with Christ. I exist now in innocence. 
This is something that Christians don't want to give themselves to that kind of thinking because they say they think it produces a reckless lifestyle. If you're looking to be reckless, you're going to be reckless no matter what I say. But the truth of the matter is if you want freedom, you've got to be able to get free enough that in your wrongdoing, you can get back up at the end of the day. You can look yourself in the mirror and by faith you can embrace the Christ who is within you and say, I'm on a road and a destiny to be like Jesus. Do not let anything get you off that path. As I look at that passage right there, I realize that the Lord doesn't say sins, but he says wrongdoings. I love the fact that he didn't say sins there, because he's saying, "Uh, listen, the covering of Jesus for your life, it's not just about the sins, you know, what's in the list of the Bible. Those are important, right? But he's just saying, it's about the things that you just, when you did the wrong thing. How, how about that decision you made in your 20s that for the rest of your life just said, I did the wrong thing. It wasn't a sin, but I, I made the wrong choice or whatever it might be. Do you, do, you, do you know that the blood of Jesus Christ covers all your wrongdoings? So he's not just talking about sin there. You just say, well, I really made a stupid decision. Jesus covers super stupid decisions. He said he canceled our debt. He says that the wrongdoings were hostile to us. Did you realize that your past, you have a choice, either bury it or let it live in your mind hostile to you. Your past will be hostile to you if you don't bury it with Jesus. We can't afford to hold on to it. He said he took it out of the way and he nailed it to the cross. No matter what you need today when you go to the Lord in prayer, He will just remind you of your past and tell you why you can't get your miracle. But the bottom line, the Lord would just say, that man died. Your sins are so far gone. In Micah chapter 7, verse 19, He'll have a compassion on you again. And he says to you, you will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. God's cast all your sins, all of them. They're in the bottom of the ocean. And like I heard a preacher say, then God put a no fishing sign up. Leave your sins in the bottom of the ocean. That's where God said he put them. In Isaiah 1.18, it says, God said, even if your sins are scarlet, he'll make them white as wool. We all love Psalm 103, verse 12. God has separated our, our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. From the moment that our sins are forgiven, it's like east from west, From the rest of your existence, you are moving away from your sins. I want to ask you, are you as close to the shame and guilt of your sin as when you first confessed it? Or are you still on an east to west trajectory away from the event? God said, you should be getting further and further from all memories, pains, 
sorrows, defining ideas from some event and wrongdoing that happened in the past. It's east from west, the Bible says. And of course, I love that because if you're on our planet, you go east to west. East is always still moving away from west for as long as the many times as you circle. But north to south, if you go north, if you go north, before you know it, going in the same direction, you start going south. North to south, in, as far as the words go, meet up again. But east to west, never meet again. So we need to remember that God is saying, you are never meant to go back. Did you know that the Bible says that now you are that new creation? The old has passed away. The newness has come. God would say to you in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, that Christ set you free for the sake of freedom. You are meant to be free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not subject yourself again to a yoke of slavery. To come back to an old sin is to take the yoke of Jesus off and to put on a yoke of slavery. But rather, though, know this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you know now your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit whom you have from God? You're not your own. For you have been bought for a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You know, the Bible says the blood of Christ has bought you. You don't belong to you anymore. Here's what you need to know. You no longer have the right to remind yourself of your past. You don't own yourself anymore. Unbelievers can condemn themselves, and they don't violate justice. But if you condemn yourself for a past sin, you violate the justice of God that was meted out at the cross. In the same way we might, you hear all the time, you have no right to judge me. I would say to the believer, yes, and you have no right to judge yourself. John 7 verse 37 says this, if any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And he said this in reference to the Holy Spirit, with those who we believed in him were to, were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, but Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus talked about a life that doesn't come out of labor and sorrow. It's not a Christianity that'll kill you. He says it's a, it's a faith that flows like a fountain. He's not even talking about a well your salvation is not a well that you have to pump. He says your salvation is like a fountain that flows on its own. You might say, well, you know what? If I'm just counting on the flow of the Holy Spirit, I, you know, I might miss what God has for me. I, I'm going to tell you what. You keep working as hard as you do, you're going to completely miss what God has for you to do. We all have to start counting on the flow of the Holy Spirit. Let's only do what God has asked us to do. And then let judgment, 
Well, that only ever and always will belong to the Lord. He'll know how to work us if we're being lazy. But here's what it says in Ephesians 3.14, and I'll close with this. Here's how the Apostle Paul prayed for Christians. He said, I pray that you'll be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner self, that the real you will be tied into the Holy Spirit. He said, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. In other words, if you want to live for Jesus, it takes daily faith to believe that you are loved by God and you're a child of God. You don't just give your faith to Jesus once. Every day you say, my righteousness is Jesus Christ. He is pleased with me. Then it says this, be rooted and grounded in love. Let everything you do be a fulfillment of your love for God and of God's love for you. If you do anything outside of the understanding that God loves you, it's such a labor, even if it's a good deed. And he says, and I love this phrase, that you would be able to comprehend, listen, with all the saints. Wait a minute. How many saints are there in the Bible? Oh, that you might be able to comprehend with Adam and with Eve, that you might be able to comprehend with Noah and Moses, that you might be able to comprehend with Isaiah and Daniel, that you might be able to comprehend with Hosea and, and Zechariah, that you might be able to comprehend with all the saints. Wait a minute. I can own something in the same way that Moses owned it, owned it, in the same way that Moses owned it, in the same way that Isaiah owned it, that you might comprehend and own with all the saints the length, the breadth, the depth, the height, and the surpassing greatness of the love of God for you. For you, not for them. But for you, do you realize that all the saints in the Bible had one common key? They believed that God loved them. And it set them apart from everybody else. From everybody else. And they were long-distance runners, man. And they could love God even to, the, even to death. They could love him no matter what. They loved him because they knew first that he loved them. That's so important. Brand new believers. Want to get light here? Want to get out to the front of the pack? And there's going to be a big pack now racing to be in the front. You want to get out in front of the pack? One simple key. Believe God loves you. And know it. Can you say Amen. Let's all stand up. Father, I thank you, God. Thank you for the word of the Lord, and I thank you for the love of God. I pray for every man and woman that's here in this room, Lord. I pray that they would receive the ministry of reconciliation, knowing that they are reconciled to God. Lord, please teach us how to be loved. 
and teach us how to love. Thank you, Lord. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to give a quick opportunity here if you want to receive the love of God. The love of God was demonstrated upon the cross of Jesus Christ. The love of God was demonstrated in a way that no one else has ever demonstrated love for us. The one who was sinless became sin for us so that we might be able through him to receive the righteousness of God. If you're here today, no matter what, no matter where you've been or what you've thought or what's hurt or what's discouraged or whatever it might be, I want you to know today, God never for a moment has stopped loving you. He's watched you every step of the way. He's watched every hurt. He's watched every, every phrase, everything that ha has, has defined you. And And the ministry of Jesus Christ is ministry to reconcile you to God. Jesus Christ died on the cross and he, he became sin for us. He died for us. And if you give your heart to him, the Lord says that through your baptism into Jesus, it means you'll be plunged into Jesus. And that, that process of death to you, the old you, being buried, then being raised up into resurrection life, where you can say, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. If you're here and you've never met Jesus as your Savior, He wants today to be your day of salvation. If you're here today and you need Him, I'm going to ask you to do two things. It's not a formula. I just want to lead you to the Lord today. If you say, Pastor Jim, I'd like to be included in a closing prayer, giving my heart to Jesus Christ today. I'd like you to respond just by lifting up your hand today, saying, Pastor Jim, this prayer is for me. I want to give my heart to Jesus. And then if you do that, I'm going to invite you to step out of your seat. Hear me now. I'm going to invite you to step out of your seat and come forward here in front of the church. Because Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. And I did that years and years ago. I, I stepped out in front of the church and I gave my heart to Jesus. And, and I'm saying I'm willing to follow him. And he saved me. And I've never been the same again. It was like it happened yesterday. If you need Jesus, would you just lift up your hand just saying, Pastor Jim, I'm going to give my heart to the Lord today. Anyone here? You, you, the, the Holy Spirit will bring a tug to your heart, letting you know that you need the Lord. Just ask him, Lord Jesus, am I right with you for sure? Just ask him that. He'll let you know. Thank you, Lord God, for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. We love you. We bless you. We give you glory and honor. I pray, Lord, as everyone goes today, that the blessing and the peace of God would rest upon them and their household, the health and the healing and the protection of the Lord. Give to each one of them the mind of Christ. I pray, Father, that there would be um, just a rest inside the heart from now on. I pray for anyone that has been striving, Lord. Let striving be done away with. And I thank you for it, Lord. We love you. We honor you. Bless you. Bless you for all your goodness and faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer today, there'll be some folks here in the front. They're here to pray for you. Pray in the prayer of agreement. God blesses that. God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming. Have a great day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. This weekly podcast can be heard on our cccbasalt.com website, the CCC Basalt app, or your favorite podcast platform. If you'd like to support our efforts financially, 
you have the opportunity to give at cccbasalt.com forward slash give.